John chapter 8. We will be reading verses 12 through 30. The text reads like this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to them, or said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen. One of my favorite trips that I've ever had the pleasure of going on is a backpacking trip in Yellowstone National Park. I did this trip in July of 2016 with my Boy Scout troop where we spent a couple of days living it up in backcountry Montana. We did some of probably the best hiking that I will ever do in my life. But no day stands out on that trip more than the very first day of backpacking. Our first day backpacking began with a really rough start. Because of traffic, 
we were starting our hike a little bit later than we had originally planned. It was probably about 5 p.m. in the afternoon when we had started our eight-mile hike to our campsite right next to Shelf Lake. Eight miles total didn't seem too bad for a bunch of teenagers and adults from the flat Midwestern United States. We figured it would probably take us about three hours tops, getting us to our campsite right before sundown. But boy, were we in for a treat. The incline started to gradually pick up around mile two. After another mile of, or two of constantly walking up an uphill slope, we realized just where Shelf Lake was going to be. Shelf Lake wasn't going to be at the bottom of the valley like we had originally hoped it was going to be, but it was going to be at the top of the mountain that we were looking directly at, because you know, shelves are normally pretty up high. The problem for us was that it was getting darker than we had originally anticipated. We thought that we would be able to get to our campground before dark, but the 2,000 feet of elevation gain that we still had to do was stopping us from meeting that goal. It eventually became dark enough that, we were, that as we were hiking up the mountain, we had to grab out our headlamps and really stick to the trail that we were hiking. We didn't know if there was going to be any cliff faces on either side of us, so sticking to the trail became our best friend. We also had to be making a bunch of noise as we were hiking up this mountain because Yellowstone is known for its bears, its moose, and its other wildlife. <laughs> By using our headlamps and making a bunch of noise, we weren't only working out of concern for our own safety, but in response to the fear that we had. All around us, the thick shroud of darkness covered all potential dangers that we could be facing. We had no idea what was around us. And when you're on the side of a mountain in bear country, being afraid is the right thing to do. If it were still daylight as we were hiking, as we originally were hoping, it would have been so much less intimidating because we would have seen what was happening around us. Well, luckily for us, we did all arrive safely at our campsite and went promptly to sleep after setting up our tents. But in the morning, when we woke up, we saw this huge cliff that was right on the edge of our campsite that we didn't know about. We didn't see it in the cover of night, but when the sun was out, it was clear as day, literally. <laughs> Without that light, we wouldn't have known that there was such a steep cliff there. This is because light itself fundamentally reveals what is happening around it, while darkness does the opposite and hides what is around it. Without light, we would fail to see the danger around us because light can reveal to us these dangers and help us to avoid and prepare for them. So when Jesus, in John chapter 8, talks about being the light of the world, we know that he is revealing to us the things that have been hidden inside of darkness. Apart from God, our world is completely enveloped in this darkness. Sin then acts as a creature of the night, sulking around and taking everyone victim as it desires. 
Sin not only takes us captive, but also makes us slaves to sin, leaving us unable to see a way out of our bondage. But Jesus then, being the light of the world, reveals to us these things that were hidden by darkness. So tonight, as we continue in our series in the I Am Statements in John, we will look at how Jesus is the light of the world. As we study John chapter 8, we will be rolling with this idea that light reveals to us things and see what Jesus reveals to us in his words in this chapter. We will look at how the light of the world reveals to us the state of the world. We will, we will look at how the light of the world reveals to us the Father who sent him. And we will look at how the light of the world reveals to us our glorified Savior. Let's start with just reading one verse and breaking down this metaphor of what Jesus means when he says that he is the light of the world. John chapter 8 verse 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this singular verse, there is a lot to unpack. And honestly, I could make the whole sermon about this one verse. But to summarize it in a singular point, I'll say this. The light of the world reveals to us the state of the world. Our story today takes place during the Feast of Booths. This feast was celebrated at the end of the harvest each year in order to praise God for the providence that he has given to his people. Jesus has been teaching in the temple during the celebration when he says plainly that he is the light of the world. Now Jesus using this metaphor at this point in the festival was very intentional. During the Feast of Booths, they would have lamps that they would set up in the courtyard of women in the temple, which would be lit during the nights of the celebration. Once these lamps were lit each night, Israelites would dance and sing to the Lord all night, praising him for the wonderful things that he has provided. It was a joyous time for the nation, filled with much celebration for God's providence. Jesus then, in saying that he is the light of the world, is immediately describing himself as something to be celebrated. God the Father has provided for his people God the Son so that they may know him and love him. But what specifically are we celebrating about him? Thinking about light in the sense of what it reveals to us, we see Jesus coming as the light of the world where he illuminates the world as the only light of the world. Jesus in this verse doesn't describe himself as one of many lights in this world, but he specifically uses the definite article, the, signifying to us as the audience that Jesus is the only light in this world. He then, as the light, reveals to us the darkness of this world and how we can be saved from it, which should cause us to celebrate. Throughout all of scripture, this metaphor for darkness of, and light is used so many times, especially in John's gospel and letters. When this metaphor is used, the darkness usually is in reference 
to spiritual ignorance. As fallen mankind, we cannot fully understand the things of God and the things of righteousness on our own. We are trapped in our ways and fall prisoner to the bondage in which sin places us in. What we should note is that being in darkness does not necessarily mean having no knowledge of God. There are many atheists and agnostics who have, who have a lot of knowledge about God and can tell you a lot about biblical doctrine, facts, and history. So instead, we shouldn't think of this as, we shouldn't think of darkness as lack of knowledge, but lack of spiritual understanding. Those who are ignorant of God and do not have faith in him walk in darkness. The light then stands to us as the opposite metaphor, referring to spiritual understanding. Once someone has the knowledge that they are a sinner and that Christ has offered them salvation and they respond in faith, then they are walking in the light. Our sin has welcomed darkness into this world, making itself comfortable here and finding a home. But Jesus comes into this world as the light of the world to show us what the darkness has done to us. It shows us that he, it, it, Jesus is showing to us that as the light of the world, he is announcing that we can be set free from the darkness and walk in his light. Throughout Christ's work, through Christ's work, we gain an understanding of this world's sin problem and find freedom from this problem in Christ. It should be no wonder then why we call the revelation and understanding of God in our personal lives the doctrine of illumination. As we enter into Christ's light, he illuminates our minds, giving us spiritual understanding. Once we are then walking in the light of life, we are now able to clearly see the state that the world is in. What used to be normal and tolerable for us now looks broken. What, used, what, what the sins that we used to enjoy we now recognize how unrighteous they are. What was once a great enjoyment for us now becomes a great burden. When we walk in the light of life, our desires change because Christ has shown us the state of our brokenness. In response, Jesus has offered us something better than anything that the darkness could have offered us. So when thinking about this metaphor of darkness and light in preparation for this sermon, I couldn't help but, be, but think about Plato's allegory of the cave. If you're not familiar with this allegory, Plato describes in this story a group of people who have lived chained to a wall inside of a cave all of their lives. The people, these people are facing a blank wall, but there is another, there's another group of people behind the wall that they are chained to that, are, that have the job of projecting shadows onto the wall for the prisoners to see. For the prisoners who have been inside of this cave their whole life, these shadows make up their entire reality to which they base their entire lives around. One day, one of the prisoners is able to escape from his chains, and he heads outside of the cave to the outside world. There, the now freed person is able to see reality as it really is, 
recognizing that the shadows that he grew up with were not the true reality that he once knew, and that the things outside the cave are the true reality. Once the free man sees the true light of the world, his eyes are now fixed on that light. They've become adjusted to that light, and he can never return to those same shadows again. For those who still live in the dark as prisoners, they will always think that this one who has escaped and seen the true light is crazy because they themselves have not experienced the same true light. While the story for Plato was meant to illustrate what life is like for a philosopher who is understanding and perceiving higher levels of reality, I believe that this story better describes what life for a Christian is like. All of our lives, we are caught in the chains of sin, believing that what we have in front of us in the darkness is true reality. But when Christ comes and sets us free from the chains which kept us in this cave, we are then able to step out into the sun, the true light of the world. The darkness then does not appeal to us in the same way that it once did. Our desire to sin is washed away, and we put on Christ's righteousness through his pure light. And our gaining then of this spiritual understanding, we are able to gain confidence in knowing what is righteous and what is sinful through God's word. As he illuminates our minds on the big things concerning our life and our life with God, the small things are also made clear to us as well. Every single infallible word of our holy scripture is given to us so we can have clarity on what righteousness truly is. We are able to have guidance and are able to avoid this darkness that we once walked in. We then are called to follow Christ in this light and continue to embrace this true and redeeming light. So as Jesus reveals to us the state of the world with his light, we now see that we were once hidden in this darkness. The sin that we used to embrace should now repulse us as we seek after the light of life. We as mankind don't need to come up with our own standard of righteousness. Instead, we find a clearly defined standard in Christ. This way, when the world tries to challenge us in determining what is righteous, we can point to them to the standard that is laid out in God's scriptures. If our culture is trying to convince us to celebrate certain lifestyles that thrive in a life of darkness, we can point them to the true light of Christ and how we were once all unrighteous before we came to him, but we are in fact redeemed in him and want to seek after this light because this light is righteousness personified. We no longer have to be confused at what righteousness is, but we can celebrate the clarity that we have from the light of Christ. Jesus then, as the light of the world, reveals to us the standard of righteousness and how we fail to meet that standard. But under what authority does Jesus make these claims? Look with me again at verses 13 through 20 of this passage. 
where we will see our, for our second point tonight that the light of the world reveals the Father who sent him. Read with me, picking back up in verse 13. It says, So the Pharisees said to, th- said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. When Jesus makes the claim that he is the light of the world, it shouldn't be a shock that the Pharisees react in such a negative way. Claiming to be the light of the world is a very big deal in their eyes, and especially when they believe that Jesus is the only one who is making this claim. Looking back at Jesus' words in John 5.31, the Pharisees are trying to call him out on a mistake because Jesus himself said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So the Pharisees wonder why Jesus is contradicting himself now. The Pharisees make this mistake of judging according to fleshly standards. They see Jesus physically claiming that he is the light of the world and fail to see another person behind him backing up that claim. You see, in the Mosaic law, the testimony of multiple people was required to make claims true in all civil and criminal proceedings. So Jesus making a claim that he is the light of the world doesn't meet their fleshly standards because only Jesus is saying this. Jesus replies to their concern by pointing out that they are judging him falsely. For even if Jesus was to bear witness about himself, then his testimony and his judgment would be true because he is God made flesh. So so because Jesus himself is the son of God, his testimony is true even if his opponents don't realize it. His judgment is also better than theirs because he, he doesn't judge to the same standard but to a higher divine standard. Jesus demonstrates this by revealing that he is not the one who testifies himself, but instead that he is testifying alongside the Father. In the Mosaic and Jewish law, the testimony of multiple people was required to back any claim. So then Jesus, being one with the Father as a member of the Trinity, is uniquely charged with being able to testify about himself Because of who he is. Because of his inner Trinitarian relationship. Everything that the son testifies about will always be backed by the testimony of the father. Through their oneness, the testimony of Christ fulfills the law's requirements. Of course, 
Just like we saw last week in John chapter 6 with the hungry crowd, the Pharisees completely misinterpret what Jesus is saying. They believe that he is talking about his earthly father, not his heavenly father. In this question, the Pharisees admit that they do not know who God the Father is. Because as Jesus points out, if they were to know who he was, they would know who the Father is also. This is because Jesus himself is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1 points out. So if, you, if, the, if the Pharisees knew who the Father was, they would know that Jesus is one with the Father as well. Now, this part of the passage reminds me weirdly of a, one of the only reality TV shows that I've ever watched. Uh, I used to really enjoy the show Undercover Boss. If you've never heard of the show, essentially a CEO or some high-ranking executive goes undercover in their own company so that they can see how things work on a ground level. They gain a better understanding of the process that the company goes through to function and meet some of the employees during the course of an episode. At the end of each episode, the undercover boss meets with the employees and reveals to them who he really is, usually rewarding them based on their hard work, giving the employees what they've been dreaming about in life, like vacations for their families, tuition for uni, among other things. But what we have here in the story is essentially this flipped, this flipped episode of Undercover Boss, the, the weirdest episode probably that could ever exist, because Jesus is revealing to his people exactly who he is, that he has been among them, and he is displaying his authority and showing them who he is. But yet the Pharisees do not believe him. They do not think that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is declaring to them that he is the Messiah that the Father has sent. But they fail to see his authority because they are so caught up in their own fleshly judgments. He's even trying to give them the best reward in the light of life, even though they didn't do anything to earn it. But yet they reject him anyways. This shows us that when we interact with the words, the judgments, and the commandments that Christ has given us. We need to be holding them to the same authority that we do to the revelation of the Father. As Jesus claims to be the light of the world, he, can only, he only claims this because the Father is the one who sent him out. So this means that the Son and the Father share in this same authority. There are many people in this world who don't understand the sharing of authority. There will be those who devalue the authority of Christ and by thinking that his words are just some sage advice, while there will be others who overvalue his words and think that they are more important than something that the Apostle Paul wrote. We shouldn't let either of these traps fool us. All of Scripture points to Christ and the Father's authority. Whether you be studying the Levitical laws or Jesus speaking directly about himself, all of it comes from God, and all of Scripture has the same authority from God. The Son and the Father share the same righteousness and authority, and we cannot pretend or disregard any of the, uh, we cannot pretend that 
disregard of this shared authority is anything but acceptable or unacceptable. And finally, let's look at our third point for this evening in verses 21 and 30, through 30. The light of the world reveals to us our glorified Savior. Jesus continues to reveal to the people more about himself and the source of his authority. He starts off by plainly stating that he will eventually go away. The Pharisees must have celebrated something like this, hearing that Jesus wouldn't be their problem forever. However, Jesus tells them that they will continue to seek after him, but will die in their sins. Where Jesus will go, the Pharisees who do not believe in him cannot come. What Jesus is essentially saying here is that the Pharisees will continue to look for this prophesied Messiah, but they will fail to find him once Jesus leaves. This is, of course, because Jesus himself is the Messiah, the one who will save people from sins. In their rejection of Jesus, they reject the only Messiah that there is, meaning that they will be destined to die in their sin. That means that when Jesus returns to sit at the right hand of the Father, then the unbelieving Pharisees, who won't, won't be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven alongside him. Of course, the Pharisees misunderstand what Jesus is saying again. Ironically, they say that Jesus is probably saying that he will go away and commit suicide. And Don Carson does a great job at pointing out the irony in his commentary. He, he summarizes and says that Jesus is going to voluntarily lay down his life, not by means of suicide, but in submission to the Father's will. He will willingly die on the cross by the hands of his enemies, which will show them where his true power and authority lies. Jesus will use his death on a cross to make the full extent of his power known, showing off that he is truly the light of the world through his conquering of death. Jesus will raise from the dead and ascend into heaven, proving that he is not from below, but from above. In Christ's death and resurrection, we see the most important thing that the light could reveal to us. Not only do we see that the, the state of the world and how apart from God this world is covered in darkness, not only do we see the same authority in the Trinitarian relationship between the Father and Son, but we see that the light of the world makes known to us our glorified Savior. Out of all the things that have been revealed to us through Christ's light, this is the one that we should be rejoicing in the most. Our God has loved us enough to descend from the throne room in heaven and take on human flesh. Jesus would come into this world living a sinful life, yet humble himself so that he would die on the cross, taking a sinner's death in our place. The light of the world has revealed to us the many ways in which this world is broken, but has not left us without any hope. The light of the world is also the light of life. And if we walk in this light, then we no longer have to walk 
in the darkness ever again. What we are given here then is a simple decision that will dictate our entire lives depending on the answer. Do we embrace the light of the world and choose to follow it as best we can and embrace the promises that come with the light of life? Or do we embrace the darkness of this world and hold close to the brokenness and uh, the brokenness in our lives leaving us to die in our sins? When presented to us in this way, I believe the answer is simple. So wherever you are tonight, let me encourage you to seek after the light of life. Do everything you can to seek after the light of life and live for it. Do not let this world tempt you with moral ambiguity, saying that things in the Bible are mistranslated or just used to control people. Don't let the darkness have a foothold in your life, letting it convince you that having it stick around will be worth your while. Instead, let Christ reign as the light that extinguishes the darkness of this world. Pursue Jesus and let your life in him be your hope and your joy. Push yourself to go deeper into the well that is Christ's love for you. All of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual journeys, can do a better job at embracing the light of Christ in our lives. Jesus is the light of this world. His light is perfect and reveals all things to us. So let's strive after this light and continue to seek to lovingly embrace the light of life. Amen. Let's pray.